Hello and welcome to The Scriptures Are Real. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scripture that make it more real to us and thus help us to find more power in them and draw them into our lives a little bit better. I'm your host, Kerry Mulestein, and today we're going to do a short cast where we talk about some a, a specific element that will help us understand the story of Jacob a little bit better, I think. And so I, I want to talk today about... Um, Jacob as a, oh, let me get to the scriptures. I want to talk today about Jacob as um, a, a covenant maker and a covenant keeper and uh, how we see that theme repeated in scriptures and it will help us understand his wrestle with the angel and so on and the, the possibility that he's having even greater ordinances happen there. So to understand this, we're going to go back to and look at some things in last week's reading. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 5, and you get this, um, this verse in verse 27 after, after verse 26 of chapter 25 is the one where they're born, and Jacob is, is holding on to Esau's hill and so on. And then we get just this one little verse about them growing up, but it's really interesting. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Now, the interesting part to me is this word that is translated in the King James Version as plain. The word is tom, uh, and it's the same word. We, we see it in tamim or tom. Um, uh, tamim is the plural of tom, but anyway, the, the when it describes, it's translated in that case as Noah being a perfect man or Abraham being a perfect man. Remember, a just and perfect man in his generation. And we talk in those cases about this meaning whole. That's what the word really means is whole or complete. And I even compared it to the Arabic word tamam and so on, right? Uh, where you are, you okay, is everything whole and, and well in the way it should be? Uh, but it means complete or whole. And when we talked about it in both terms of Noah and Abraham, we noted how the word was used in a covenant context. And I suggested that there may be an element here of it saying that they were keeping the covenants they had to the best of their ability. And that made them full or whole or complete at that time. Of course, there are more covenants available and they'll enter further into it. And there are more, I think, that we'll have and ordinances that we'll have even in the next life that eventually we receive the ordinance of godhood and, and goddesshood and so on. But um, uh, at least as I understand it, I don't really know that for sure, but that's what I think happens. I haven't been there. But um, this, that I think this is what it's describing Jacob as. Esau is a cunning hunter, and he's out, uh, out doing things in the field and hunting and so on, whereas Jacob is a complete, a whole, well-rounded, a full man, and I think including in that he keeps his covenants, and he's dwelling in tents. So uh, that's, that's an important element. We also have then in the next chapter, chapter 26, we have um, the Lord talking with Isaac and making a covenant with him. We get in verse four, uh, where he promises him, I'll multiply uh, or I'll make thy seed to multiply as the stars in heaven and give unto thy seed all these countries and they, thy seed shall all the nations of the earth um, be blessed. That's the Abrahamic covenant. So this is worth thinking about. Isaac is integrally part of the covenant. He was promised, specifically Isaac, promised to Jacob in the covenant. He's born in the covenant, and yet Isaac himself has to make that covenant. He has to enter into it personally if this is going to um, really be of effect and, and really be 
something that that is part of him and his life. So he's born into the covenant, but he also has to enter into it individually. And we see that with Isaac. So I think we're going to see it with Jacob as well. And in my view, it happens in chapter 28. So you remember um, that in uh, chapter 27, um, we have Rebecca telling Jacob she should flee. And then in chapter 28, Jacob or uh, Isaac blesses Jacob. And uh, he goes off to meet Rachel and so on. But as he's on his way, he has this interesting experience where, um, and, and by the way, uh, Isaac is kind of confirming to Jacob that he should be part of this covenant. When we get chapter 28, verse 3, Isaac says to Jacob, God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people. He seems to be in his capacity as the, the patriarch administering this covenant to Jacob. And so Jacob is in some ways entering into it then. And he even says in, in the next verse, and uh, I give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee into thy seed after thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger in which God gave unto Abraham. Right. This is Isaac administering that covenant to Jacob. But then as Jacob is on his way, he's going from Beersheba down towards the south area of modern day Israel uh, up to Haran, where they had come from in Syria. Um, and he's going to go out the same way that Abraham had to come in. He'll come back that same way later. Uh, but he stops at a certain place. We know that this place is called Luz at the time. It's going to get a new name by Jacob here, and it will be known by that name uh, from there on out. Um, but he lights upon a certain place, and he tarries all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. Now, that doesn't sound like comfy pillows, but I'll just tell you, like I've seen the headrest that they use in Egypt and elsewhere. Uh, they don't seem to have the idea that you want something soft for your head. They just You just want something that will hold your head up level. So they must sleep on their sides. And then it holds your head about level with where it should be there instead of going down as you sleep on your side. And uh, it, they all look miserable to me, but these hard, hard things that they would sleep on, stones or... Um, uh, these headrests, but apparently it's what they do. So he, he puts them for his pillows and he lies down there and he dreamed a dream and behold, a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And he said, I'm the Lord God of Abraham, thy father and the God of Isaac. That's his way of cluing in. I'm the God who administered the covenant to them. When he names Abraham and Isaac, I am the one who gave them a covenant. And now look how this covenant happens personally between God and Abraham. The land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. That's our clue. We're talking about the covenant because that's a specific part of the covenant. But if that wasn't enough, he gives him the rest. Uh, or at least he doesn't mention everything that's part of the covenant, but some of the key elements so that we know that this is that covenant. Thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. That's what he promises Abraham. Thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, the north, and the south. So remember that when Abraham first came into the promised land, God said, look to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, everything you see that will inherit, you'll inherit that. So this is kind of that same phraseology. He's bringing to mind the language he'd use with Abraham. And then he goes on to say, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is really the same stuff that Isaac had just told him, but now it's God himself telling it to him. And then look at this next one, which is beautiful stuff we see when God spoke with Abraham as well. Verse 15, and behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. 
So he's saying, you don't have to worry about this. Wherever you go, I'm going to make sure you fulfill this covenant and I'll bring you back here. You're going to inherit this. This covenant will be fulfilled with you. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? Now, uh, this seems odd to us. I think it's because we haven't seen God. In every experience you read of where someone sees an angel or sees uh, God, there's an element of being overwhelmed. And typically the first thing they have to say is fear not or something along those lines because their, uh, God's presence or the presence of angels is so awesome, right? And know that awesome and awful are the same words, basically. We've just come to use them differently. But the idea is that it inspires awe in you, and that's a bit frightening. And so this dreadful and awful, dreadful is probably not the best translation. I would say awful is a different uh, and a better translation uh, that has this idea. It's got uh, a fear because of awe. And that's what's happened to him. So he says he was afraid and says, how awful is this place? That's my translation. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven, the way to heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone he had put for his pillows. Now, a lot of Jewish commentators will make a big deal. It said stones, and now it says stone. So something magical happened during the night. Well, magical isn't the word they would use, but something miraculous happened during the night and took those those. Uh, multiple stones and set them into one. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just the, the, the they just forgot to make it plural, or maybe he's just taking one of those. Uh, but anyway, sets it up for a, a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, which literally means house of God. Uh, but the name of that city was called Luz at first. So you know that he is uh, renaming it. And from then on out, it will be called Bethel, but they knew what the name was before he did that. And he's calling it house of God because he had seen God there. Um, and Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. So that's his covenanting back. God extended the covenant to him while he was asleep in his wake. He extends the covenant back saying, okay, you keep, if you're keeping your part of the covenant, I will keep my part of the covenant. And remember that having God as our God or the Lord Jehovah, that's what that says. Jehovah as our God is one of the elements of the covenant. Um, and, and he says, uh, this stone, which I've set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all thou shalt give me, I will surely give the 10th unto thee. So he's promising tithes there, right? But this is all part of that covenant. So you can see the covenant being set up here. In, in a significant way, as Jacob, who is born into this covenant, but he personally makes this covenant. And I, th I think that's worth understanding. Uh, President Marion G. Romney spoke of this event, and he said this, Jacob realized that the covenants he made with the Lord there at Bethel were the rungs on the ladder that he himself would have to climb in order to obtain the promised blessings, blessings that would entitle him to enter heaven and associate with the Lord. Because he had met the Lord and entered into covenants with him there, Jacob considered the site so sacred that he named the place Bethel, a contraction of Beit Elohim, which means literally the house of the Lord. Temples are to us all, or are to us all what Bethel was to Jacob. And that's what I think is worth understanding is that the path that we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob on 
where they they have to make this covenant themselves and and uh, there's an officiator and for abraham it seems that in some ways that was uh melchizedek i assume abraham did something similar for isaac we just read about when isaac kind of it's, it becomes personal for him uh we see it happening with jacob but in any case the path that they're on this covenant path we could really call it is the same path that we're on and we enter into that covenant at baptism and more fully in the temple and uh it's the same thing whether you're born into the covenant or not you need to personally make that covenant and uh, thus, we hopefully can identify with these patriarchs and the way that um, they, they try and work their way through living this covenant as difficult things in life happen to them, as they are called upon to sacrifice all things, enter into Abrahamic sacrifices, uh, and uh, uh, they have covenanted that they'll do whatever the Lord asks. And we see them fulfilling these covenants, even when it's tough, messy, difficult, everything else. It's a, a wonderful thing to be able to watch that happen with them and apply it to our lives. It becomes much more real to me as I realize how similar our, well, how the covenants really are the same covenants and how similar our paths are. That becomes more real to me and I can gain more from their examples as a result of that. As we think about how uh, the, the path they're on is the same path that we're on, it, there's one more thing that is really worth thinking about. Uh, and that's part of the story that we don't cover in today's uh, or this week's reading. We don't cover it at all. We, we actually skip a few chapters. So we skip chapter 34, um, which is not the most pleasant of stories where uh, there, Jacob's daughter Dinah is raped and uh, Simeon and Levi adventure by uh, killing all the men in this village after they've gotten them to get circumcised and so on. Uh, uh, Jacob chastises them for this. It's a heinous act. It does fit in with the culture of the time where the, the greatest protection a woman has uh, against violence being perpetrated on her by others is that her family members will avenge her. And if you don't avenge family members, then people keep uh, abusing them. I'm not saying that justifies at all in any way what uh, Simeon and um, Levi do. It doesn't, but this is I, I understand it in its time period that uh, this is what the, happened in lots of cases. Again, it's still heinous. I'm not justifying it, but it fits in with the culture of the time period. Uh, so that happens. And then we get in chapter 35, some really significant things. God tells Jacob to go to Bethel and to build an altar there uh, at the same place where he appeared to him when he was leaving, uh, fleeing from Esau all those years ago. And so Jacob takes, uh, gets ready to go, but he doesn't seem to be just going on his own. So he says um, in verse two, when he says to his household, put away thy strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. So it would seem we, we have in the story where they're fleeing from Laban and coming down into the promised land that Rachel has taken some uh, idols with her and so on. I suspect that while Laban's household, and that would include Rachel and Leah, while they worship Jehovah, and I would guess that Jacob was able to get them to really 
kind of start to worship Jehovah in a different way and is teaching them the truth, it would seem that they haven't fully gotten idolatry out of uh, their hands and their heads. Uh, and we'll talk about that in future episodes, the way that we struggle with this as well. But it seems like there's still some idolatry problems among Jacob's wives and then among his sons. And he is constantly trying to get them to get rid of these idols and worship only Jehovah. This is something that's going to plague Israel for a very, very, very long time. Thus, we'll ask ourselves how it's plaguing us because it clearly is. So as he is going back to Bethel, he seems to be preparing his family for an experience there as well. So he tells them, you got to get rid of these gods. Please get rid of these gods and change and make yourself clean. And then he says, let us arise and go to Bethel and I'll make there an altar to God uh, who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way that I went. Uh, and they gave Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. So I don't know what's going on with the earrings, uh, but there's something about that that Jacob doesn't like. And Jacob hid them under the oak, which was uh, by Shechem. So that's the, the place where he first came into the promised land after he went across the Jordan River. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities. And so they don't bother Jacob. And they came to Luz, which was in the land of Canaan. That is Bethel. Remember, that's the same place. And all the people were with him. And he built an altar, and he, and he called it El Bethel, which is God and the house of God, uh, or God, house of God, literally, uh, because there God appeared to him. Um, and, and Rebecca's nurse dies there, very sad. She's been with them for a long time. Remember, she came down with Rebecca when uh, the servant went to get Rebecca. Um, and then we get God appeared unto Jacob again. And he blessed him, and he said, "Thy name is Jacob, or thy name is Jacob, but thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name." So he's reconfirming this rebirth and renewal and re, uh, new name is that's part of that. He says, "I am God Almighty." This is typical in covenant ceremonies. You identify the two parties by name. So he's just identified Jacob's name. Now he's doing his name. I am God Almighty. Now he reconfirms the Abrahamic covenant: "Be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins." And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee, I will give it. And to thy seed after thee, will I give this land? Uh, and God went up from him in the place where he talked to him. So you can see he's made all these promises. This is the third time he's making these promises, but he seems to be entering more and more fully into it. But there's a part of me that thinks that this one is not just with Jacob. They may not mention it, but I think this is with his whole family. That's why he brought his whole family there and had them prepare it, that this is where Jacob's sons enter into the covenant themselves. Uh, Jacob sets up a pillar again and, and makes an offering. He, he makes a, a drink offering and a, uh, an oil offering there. So different kinds of offerings. And they rename it uh, Bethel again. And so that's, um, that's key. He is getting his family to be part of the covenant. I think that's what we're seeing here. Uh, and that's really key because the next thing that happens is, is they're going home uh, they're traveling home, and they get partway there, and they're stopping at this place just barely south of Jerusalem, and that's where um, Rachel will uh, give birth, and Benjamin will be born, but Rachel will die as a result of that. And I have to think that uh, it would have been meaningful for Jacob to have had this family covenant uh, experience as when, when Rachel dies, he will have been grateful to have had that happen. And perhaps the Lord knew that timing and uh, knew she was about to die. And that's part of why he said, bring your whole family back to here. He, he just tells, we only read about Jacob doing it, but the fact that Jacob's preparing his family and bringing them makes me think there's more to that story. And uh, it reminds me of how important covenants are for our families. And sometimes 
we struggle with getting our families uh, consistently keeping the gospel and consistently ready to make covenants and so on. And we're going to see that Jacob's family struggles with this after this. Uh, they, they, they struggle, but eventually they all seem to really be on board. And that also gives me faith as I think about families, my own family, other people's families. There are so many of us that have struggles uh, trying to, uh, well, everyone is going to have some kind of struggle trying to keep their family on the covenant path and in the covenant and together uh, without problems. Again, I draw inspiration from these uh, great patriarchs and matriarchs and their families and what they're going through. And it can serve as a hope and a guide for me as my family and I traverse this covenant path.